Well, hi folks, and welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. This is Ken Behrens, as always, with Charlie Hesse. And we have a, a special guest today on our podcast, uh, Nate Swick from the American Birding Association. So uh, quite excited. Welcome. Yeah, welcome, Nate. Hey, thanks. Excited to be here. We're, uh, we, we've asked Nate to prepare his, his top five lifetime wildlife mm -hmm. sightings in in, in our uh, style so uh, we're we haven't heard them yet so you know we're gonna be uh <laughs> yeah yeah anticipating these um yeah before we get into that <laughs> yeah we'll we'll say a quick thanks to our new patrons who have signed up on patreon to support the podcast we just launched our patreon page last week so thanks a lot to those folks and we hope uh, others will join you soon any other announcements or uh things to get out of the way charlie no, I think we're ready to to get straight into it. I think you said just before the show that you were you had like an ice storm coming or something like that. Is that right, Nate? Yeah, it's supposed to come later today. So this is uh, February eighteenth, okay. and um, yeah, apparently we're supposed to get like a half inch to a three quarter inch of ice on all the surfaces, and so everyone is is concerned about wow. power outages, and, and I'm not looking forward to that at all, but uh, thankfully, right. it's later well, today, we, and we're able we to get this, get this recording, <laughs> yeah, before before uh, all hell maybe breaks loose. Maybe the last one you ever make. <laughs> That's right, it's going to turn into Hoth, or, or some sort of icy, <laughs> yeah, icy hellscape, yeah, Listen. looking forward to that. <laughs> it's so weird, because where I am, it is just the apex of the hot it's and rainy baking. season it's just bloody <laughs> humid the 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 temperature is about 92 oh. degrees and it feels about 102 with the humidity it's just miserable we i mean we went to the pool today oh. just to cool off Jealous. um so it's so weird to be yeah. following all this news and all these facebook posts from with the states where like everyone is covered in ice and snow oh. and, and I, you it know to be mess. honest i'm yeah. i'm jealous which is probably ridiculous because i don't have to go like dig <laughs> out my car but i think uh it looks it, it, appealing it, it snowed in my in my father's garden back in the uk and he sent me pictures of all this snow and a little snowman there and my son was just like <laughs> he was just really quite angry that uh, that he wasn't able to build a snowman here in uh, thailand <laughs> i wish we had some snow some snow would be nice it's the ice that i'm really worried about it like breaks it's all the, the tree limbs and <laughs> knocks into stuff it's it's yeah, yeah. I can kind of and it's just some... not safe or fun to drive in it's the worst it's the worst of all worlds really yep yep well, um, I think most American birders are familiar with who Nate is. Um, for more international folks and people who don't know him, we'll just introduce him a little bit. He So he runs the very popular American Birding Association podcast, which is a great, great podcast. Um, I've quite enjoyed all the episodes I've listened to and just... All kinds yeah. of different topics, cool, um, just running the gamut from like I've, I've been I've been binge listening like, <laughs> oh my the last couple of days just to, <laughs> just to catch up. No, it's yeah. it's very well well produced and and just lots of different topics, just running the gamut from sort of taxonomy and rare birds to social issues and all kinds of stuff. Just the diversity yep. that is birding. Yeah. So, and I guess you've you've been working for ABA for you were just saying about ten years now. And then you were a blogger, a birding blogger before that. Is that how you got connected yeah, with ABA? Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I started. Yeah, that's kind of how I started, or at least how I got on the ABA's radar. Um, you know, back in the pre-social media days, if you can even believe it, uh, if you can remember it back that far. Um, you <laughs> Can't know, remember. Nature blogs were kind of a big deal. And uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I had my own called The Drinking Bird. And, uh, you know, I wrote about, I, I was working kind of a, a boring office job. 
and I had a lot of time to kind of write and think about birds. And so I was doing that a lot. And, um, it, yeah, and, and, and eventually just kind of got on the ABA's radar because the ABA at the time when Jeff Gordon came on as president did not have much of an online presence at all. And so um, I was kind of right. brought on to, to kind of fix that a little bit. And, yeah, so long long story short, 10 years later, here I am uh, still doing stuff for the ABA, still doing burden community stuff, and, and yeah, enjoying enjoying it. It's, it's, it's a great community to be a part of for sure. So there's quite a lot of birding and, and nature podcasts around, but uh, I yeah. guess uh, you were one of the first, eh? Yeah, it's it's you know I, I always early, think of, of my yeah I always think of sort of my inspiration is uh, you know the late Bill Thompson the third had a great podcast uh, yeah of course was, yeah. and then you know he did one with Ben Lizdas for a while and um, you know I I love those guys the they they put on a great show and um, but they weren't very regular like they would kind of go like many weeks or right. even months between episodes and I was like man I want more I want more of this burning uh-huh. content because podcasting was kind of becoming a thing and I was listening to podcasts a lot in the car. And on the bus when I was uh, riding the bus to work, and yeah, it, it's just like, well, why don't why don't we do one? And um, the ABA was thinking the same thing, and we just kind of put our heads together and, and came up with the American Birding Podcast, and it's been it's been great. I, I mean, I love it. I love the you know the people that I love that people are getting something out of it, that people are enjoying it, and I think it's a really good outreach tool for the organization. And I I don't know, I, I really like talking to people about birds and birding, and. Um, uh-huh. You know, in this pandemic, when I can't like talk to people in person, it's actually been a little bit of a lifeline <laughs> to talk to people about birds. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's been so that's been nice too. But yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm glad people are enjoying it. Glad people are listening. Uh, it's been it's been cool. It's been a cool it seems journey. quite sort of interactive. There's a lot of people sort of sending you messages, and I, I, yeah. I, I I've enjoyed the recent recently the, the the pileated woodpecker stories. Yeah, yeah, that's been cool. We tried to do they've that. They've been a lot of fun. So. Yeah, we yeah. tried to do that last year with our the cedar waxwing, and you know it, we got a few, but not a ton. And it seems like we kind of hit some sort of critical mass now, and people are sending them in. Um, it's really easy for people to record, you know, good, pretty good, usable audio content on their phones. And so, yeah, just like you got a pillion of woodpecker stories, send it in. We actually have got one. It's, it's oh right, fun. Yeah, yeah, cool. The, I'll record tro- this and I'll put it in there. All the tropical <laughs> birding guides in uh, in in Tennessee. Yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll we'll send one in. Oh, right on. Cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I, so I like this uh, yeah, podcast crossover. Love it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I like this bird of the year concept with the ABAs come up with. I don't know who came up with that, but, and it's a kind of a funny, like a goofy idea in some way, but it works. And you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always like strangely excited. Yeah. And when I saw it was Billy Hated Woodpecker this year, it was just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's almost like the Chinese <laughs> yeah, new year. Exactly. It's like, oh, it's a good sign. Totally. Yeah. Wasn't that a big bird for you? Absolutely, Ken? yeah. And so was cedar waxwing. Actually, it was a big it was kind of spot. Yeah, bird one, for you, one right? of the really? first five birds that just absolutely just got me fired totally. up for birding. So I have yeah, lots yeah. of love for for pileated. Um, I'm oh sure yeah, I think it tons has of that people do. On, yeah, on so many people. Yeah, it's just so dramatic and and bigger than you expect, and and yeah, just so cool. It's like one of those, you know, when you first start birding, it's it's the first bird that's like one of the first birds that really makes you feel like you're doing something that's like totally totally wild and and out there and and yeah. run into anything it's yeah i mean i still love to see them i have a patch of woods behind the house and there's been a pair that have nested back there that i hear from time to time and sometimes they fly over and really? yeah, I, I i never get tired of them such a good bird <laughs> so i just find it i find it <laughs> funny you know we are so romantic about the ivory billed woodpecker and it, you know just the idea that it might mm-hmm. still be out there is so exciting for me too, but then we've got these these you know something that's very similar, um, in a lot of our backyards, 
and you're kind of like strangely undervaluing them in a way. You know, the things that are like extinct or almost extinct or extremely rare <laughs> are maybe overvalued in a way, and we tend to undervalue the, the common. Mm, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's true. You've got some good flashy woodpeckers in uh, South Asia, though, don't you? Oh, yeah, they are South yeah, we've got the biggest woodpecker in the world. They got the uh, the great slady woodpecker. The slady one, Absolutely yeah, that's a enormous. cool looking thing. Yeah, yeah. big, these big pointy tail. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff you get from these tiny little piculates, flamebacks, yeah. um, and then you just get these monsters as well. So yeah, they're but they they're quite hard. They're, I mean, they're a lot harder to see than a lot of the North American woodpeckers, hmm. the the Asian ones. You you'll come here and you'll get a checklist, and there'll be like twenty woodpeckers on there, and you and you struggle to see them really. It's uh, hmm. That's what, because you know, know why pili- they're so uncommon. Maybe they were persecuted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, pileated is so accessible. That's part of what makes it so, so mm. amazing. Like it doesn't. If you live in the range, yeah. like if you go to the right sort of places, you're you're gonna see it. It's not uncommon to come across. Yeah. <laughs> I just find woodpeckers are at incredible densities in in temperate places, U.S. and Europe. Yeah. Whereas the tropics in general, woodpeckers are just yeah. thin on the ground, and I've never quite understood <laughs> why that is. Yeah. There's a much higher diversity in the tropics, but uh, I think far lower populations, lower density of almost all species. So I'm curious to ask you, Nate, so you were a long-term blogger, and now you've been a long-term podcaster. Um, I'll put you on mm-hmm. the spot, and I'll ask you, do you prefer blogging or podcasting? I'm sure there's good, there's good <laughs> and bad to both. I'll tell you, podcasting is occasionally easier because you're just kind of speaking off the cuff rather than you know, yeah. parsing over all the words that you're writing. Yep. Like I'm, I'm kind of a slow writer. Fast talker. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Um, there's something to be said for <laughs> like just talking to someone and getting the same information and having the same thoughts. Although I do like write a lot of the script for the American Birding podcast um, just to kind of get my thoughts in order. Yeah. Uh, but, the, but as far as the interviews go, you know, I, as you like, I write down a few questions and then I kind of go from there and, uh, yeah, I mean, it takes like 20, 25 minutes, sometimes up to 40 to do an interview. I'm like, I could write. Writing takes a bit longer than that for me. So it's nice. It's actually kind of nice. Yeah. I feel like I can be more productive as a podcaster than I was as a blogger. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> I, I find there's just something very natural about podcasting. It just taps into something that seems to be quite natural to humans. It's sort of like sitting around a fire exchanging stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. One of our listeners was talking about uh, it was like sitting in the car with us, you know, going on a drive and yeah, just chatting totally. about birding yeah. stories in the back of the car, you know, and that that was. Uh, yeah, I've heard the same. Good writing can be amazing, but it yeah, it's really hard work, and it's also hard work to ingest good writing uh, in a way. Mm-hmm. Podcasting is is just different. I'm reading Scott Widensall's new book that's going to come out next month. He's going to be on the podcast in in um, in April and. Uh, He's a good yeah, writer. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Scott Widensall is an amazing writer. Yep. And uh, but it, it is like the to ingest it is hard. Sometimes I have to go back and read some passages more than once, and maybe I don't feel like I have to go back and listen to segments of podcasts more than once. Although I don't always. A lot of times I'm, I'm listening to podcasts when I'm like cooking and cooking dinner or or in the car, and so it's it's sometimes I've got other things going on. I I, I don't know. You know, I think you probably go into a lot of detail about how people you know ingest podcasts versus how they they ingest writing it's um it's different it's totally different yeah yeah definitely um i'm curious to ask you nate just what's going on with with aba these days you know charlie and i are a little bit disconnected from the american birding scene sure (laughs) yeah right 
Um, you know, we're we're hanging in there. It's been a tough year for a lot of people in the birding industry because of the pandemic and, you know, so much of our our income comes from partners in the travel industry and, you know, they're hurting too uh, right now right. and yeah. um, you know, it's all these second order, third order effects of the of the pandemic and uh-huh. we're yeah, I mean, we're doing a lot more stuff like the podcast, like Greg Neese, who is uh, my colleague here, and I do a live bird ID show every two weeks on Facebook and on our social media stuff. And um, we've been doing more oh, cool. of that sort of thing. And, you know, we're still putting out a lot of content, bird magazines, stuff like that keeps coming out. But, you know, it's it's uh-huh. tough because we have, you know, the birding community the prof- in the you know professional sense is relatively small and it's it's hard to see so many of our friends uh, suffering because of it. And, you know, we certainly love to work with them and do tours with them. And, you know, that's uh-huh. has both kind of community impacts and also kind of financial impacts on everybody. And, uh, you know, we're hanging in there as best we can. <laughs> I, I, I know you guys, uh, know what it's like. Yep. It's, it's been a strange, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> we totally <laughs> had to re- reinvent ourselves during this time. Eh? Oh, for real. Yeah. No, I know. We, 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 mm. we turned from like a, a birding membership organization to like a, a content providing organization, like on the right. fly. Yeah. And it's been, it's uh-huh. been, you know, there've been fits and starts, but yeah, you, you do what you can, I guess. But it's, it's a good time for innovation. It's a good time to try new things. You know, that's yeah, what I mean. Totally. Ken and I have had to you know, reinvent ourselves and, and we've, we've built skills that we didn't have before. We've oh, done totally. things that we yeah, never yeah, had yeah. Time, time to do before. So, you know, although it's been a big negative side with it, we've also, um, there's a little bit of a silver lining. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that we've been doing during the pandemic that we're going to take forward into the post-pandemic that it's going to be mm. pretty positive. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we, let's get into the uh, Nate's top, five lifetime wildlife yeah, yeah. sightings I'm, I'm quite interested to hear these um you know on on tours yeah. nate we often only one do... of them is a bird funnily enough oh really oh really yeah at the end of a tour we often do I, I ask everybody to come up with their top five experiences and i always tell people this can be anything mm-hmm. this can be uh you know oh, uh, totally. people or it can be a great meal or it can be a great cup of coffee or mammal bird <laughs> reptile amphibian and I just always find it incredibly interesting to see what people come up with. So I'll, I'll be fascinated to hear yeah. hear yours from the as the an American birder. You said a couple of them were yeah. are in uh-huh. your your home state there of North Carolina. So yeah, we have some great wildlife watching opportunities here in, in North Carolina. Oh, d- definitely, yeah, I love that. Hey, they may or may not know, but Outer Banks are incredible. Yeah, that's sort of where I'm heading. That's <laughs> here. Although I have seen some cool stuff in the mountains as well. Uh, but yeah, should I just jump into it? Should we do five to one? Jump into it, yeah. Num- okay. Number five. Right All right, so I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with uh, uh, a mammal that I saw here in North Carolina. Um, North Carolina, people may not know, has an endemic. Well, not historically endemic, but currently endemic species of carnivore. Uh, and I have had the good fortune to see it once. It's super secretive. It's hard to find. It's red wolf. Uh, I thought so. And, yep, uh, yep. So the entire population yeah. of red wolf is at Alligator River National Wildlife Refuge in the eastern part of the state. And um, they've had, I mean, politically, it's like a really hot topic. You know, a lot of the people who run game parks out there and feed deer hate them, uh-huh. even though there's no evidence that they actually, you know, have much of an effect on the on the deer population. But anyway... You know, there's only a few of them, a few dozen of them, and they're and I've been to this Alligator River National Wildlife Refuge. 
I guess one of my favorite places in the state to bird. It's just like wide open fields and swampy forest, and there's just tons of really cool birds there, especially in the winter. They're more more harriers, more raptors than you could like ever imagine. There's just tons of them. Really? And so a few years ago, I was leading a um, a Carolina Bird Club trip, Carolina Bird Club meeting trip out there uh, with a group of folks, and we were looking for I you know looking for anything. Um, this is usually a lot of cool, as I said, a lot of cool raptor show, usually uh, black bear, which is always a crowd pleaser. Mm, nice. Um, really? And so we were, we were walk, we were driving these roads and um, so they, they manage the road, they manage the fields in kind of a weird way. So they're like kind of in strips. So there's this tall grass here and then they mow it down and then there's tall grass and mow it down. So it's like this, this line of, um, you know, strips of various size vegetation. So we're out watching these raptors fly over this field and all of a sudden like this big dog like comes out of the out of the out of the grass and um it was like oh red wolf red wolf and so we all flip over and look at it and it like stares at us and so it's kind of hard to tell red wolf from coyote out there because they interbreed a lot actually it's kind of probably but red wolves have like especially in the winter are like this massive head and this big torso and like just really furry and uh, this thing just like bolts and starts coming across these lines and like diving into the tall grass and then you'd run over and like you'd see it pop out of the other side in the short grass and run and run and run and dive into the tall grass and it kept doing this for a while until it kind of until it disappeared um it was just such a cool experience because i'd been out there so many times and never seen one and uh you know you don't see them that often and uh, oh, it was really cool I bet. Uh, an animal that i'd wanted to see for a long time is it a is it a solitary animal or what they're not yeah, in packs they, like the gray wolves. Not in big packs. So they'll be like in pairs, right. twos and threes a lot of so, times. Right. Um, and uh-huh. uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's an animal with a lot of history in North Carolina. And um, it's, it's sad that it's the only ones left. And, and, you know, the federal government at various times has decided to protect them and not protect them. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of a mess, but um, still really cool to see. Uh, you, apparently you can go out and hear them sometimes like they howl. Uh, in the awesome. in the early really? spring, um, but uh, yeah, a lot of people hear them. Not very many people see them. It's a good species. They're totally the, different from the gray wolves. Oh, totally different from the gray wolf. the The question now is like, how many of them are kind of integrates with uh, coyote? Yeah, which you know, ever since the uh, red wolf kind of disappeared in the 1800s, coyotes moved in, and uh, now they introduced the red wolves, and they kind of interbreed a little bit. And so there are a lot of these koi wolves. Koi wolves. I don't know how to pronounce that, but um. Is yeah, so, koi wolves. Yeah, koi wolves. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, this one that we saw was like pretty unequivocally red wolf. Like it's just the big head, big chest, right, and uh, long legs. Yeah, cool animal. So that's my five. It's interesting. We we've been talking a lot about different species of uh, of canids just in the last yeah. two or three episodes. They uh, can uh, a lot of canid talk. I was uh, I because good. A lot of can- we've been doing um, our, our top. Mammal uh, lifetime mammal sightings, and I had maned wolf, and then Ken just oh had, yeah, um, wild wild dog and gray wolf. So this is very much uh, <laughs> it's in line with what oh, we've yeah. been talking about the last few yeah. weeks. Get the get the dog talk out there. Yeah, happy <laughs> yeah. to contribute. <laughs> That's fantastic. I just wanted to say just before the episode, I actually had to look where North Carolina was on a map, but uh, <laughs> it's 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 now it's now firmly. On my uh, my list of places that I want to go, just to go and try for this red wolf. Too. It's north of and South red wolf Carolina. Is cool. just... uh, Alligator River is, yeah, they're really good for herps as well. Um, a lot of cool snakes. Really? Uh, we have the largest diversity of salamanders in the world. 
in North Carolina. Really? We just got in it. They just described an endemic salamander oh, wow. here in North Carolina, uh, wow. Sandhills Eurasia. Uh, it's really cool little little orange thing. Um, so that that's cool. I've I haven't seen it. I have a friend that works for one of a, one of my good friends works for state parks as a inventory biologist, and like his job is just to go to all the state park properties and count like everything he sees. Uh, so. He's got uh-huh. kind of a dream job. So he's seen it. He's been talking up this Sandhills Eurasia. But we have a ton of really cool salamanders, especially in the mountains. It's a big uh, dragonfly hotspot as well, right? It is. Yeah. The southeast is just like great in terms of diversity. People, It's underrated. Underrated. <laughs> ah, cool. Uh, number four. So a few years ago, I got to go to Honduras uh, on a kind of Leica junket to help promote uh, a new binocular that they were putting out. And so I was with a bunch of really cool... Uh, naturalists, uh, some tour leaders, some content producers, uh, stuff like that. It was a really, really good group of really serious naturalists. And we were like burning the candles on both ends, getting up really early and, and going birding and, and staying up late at night to walk through the forest and, and look for cool stuff. Uh, we found like red-eyed tree frog and, and all sorts of things. Um, but oh, one of the coolest sweet. things we found when we were walking at night, so we'd walk with our big flashlights like staring up and we found this tree. I forget exactly what kind of, it might've been a I don't think it was a saber tree, but it was something like that. But it was fruiting, so there was always like a lot of cool stuff in there. And so we found, you know, kinkajou, and um, it was a good place to look oh, for nice. toucans and stuff in the in the during the day. Uh, but when we were we were hanging out under this tree, flashing our lights up there, and I forget who found it, but we were you know moving along the the limbs trying to look for stuff, and we found a, a prehensile-tailed porcupine uh, up there. Ooh. I think it was oh, nice. like Mexican Mexican prehensile-tailed porcupine. Um, which is such a cool critter, one that I'd wanted to see in the wild for a long time. I'd seen it in you know zoos and nature centers and stuff. But uh, yeah, super cool hanging up there. Such a weird looking thing with like that flat head, flat nose, and that long tail and all the spikes, obviously. Um, so that was a really cool experience just because of the people I was with and um, a, neat, a neat animal uh, in there. But that was just a great trip all around. Um, a lot of cool. Did, lot you, of cool did you get to look for the, the endemic Honduran emerald? We did. We found it. Yeah, we did. We got a did great experience it? with the yeah. Honduran emerald. Yeah, we went out. It's in that kind of dry area in the uh, in the yeah, north yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, northwest of the country. Uh, yeah, we got um, uh-huh. Honduran emerald, lesser roadrunner that day. Uh, some cool stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. So I, I have really not been. <clears throat> I really haven't been aware of this porcupine, but I'm just looking it up, and it's it's hilarious looking. I can see why it's that was a highlight. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it looks like a Muppet. We, we totally. often Google stuff like during the podcast and kind of look at the, look at pictures. Yeah, yeah. It, it's you're, it's you know it's a weird looking animal. There was a there was a sort of arboreal porcupine in Ecuador as well, and I never saw this thing. I saw a picture of it. Mm-hmm. Some some client that just. Um, turned up they managed to see it but um, I, I did once see a whole bunch of uh, spines and it looked like some kind of maybe like a puma or something had, had grabbed this thing out of a tree oh, really? and, and managed to chow down on it and there was just a whole bunch of spines on the ground yeah yeah oh that's cool yeah they I mean they don't move much I could think they would be pretty easy to easy to easy to catch if you're a puma although you know obviously the the hazard of all the all the spikes but they're pretty soft yeah. <laughs> as far as I know <laughs> um yes yeah, so by the go- tail yeah, right, swinging around. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm going to go back to North Carolina for number three. Uh, one of the best things about living in this state is the proximity to the Outer Banks and pelagic birding, which is one of my favorite kinds of birding. Uh-huh. Um, so I've, I've had the uh, good luck to go out with Brian Pattison on his sea birding on uh, the Stormy Petrel 2. 
And uh, we see all sorts of cool stuff out there. It's such a neat ecosystem that you don't really get to experience on on land. And um, probably the coolest thing I've ever seen out there, seen a lot of really neat whale species. Um, Sperm whale is pretty common. Uh, Rough-toothed dolphin was a really neat one. Um, But the coolest whale we ever saw was... um, So there's you're probably familiar with beaked whales super kind of secretive sure. deep diving uh-huh. not a lot of yep. records of them the gulf stream off north carolina is one of the best places in, in the world to see uh, a couple of the species and one of them is a gervais beaked whale and you know i'd seen it before usually it's like just kind of a, a back on the distance you see like a shiny glossy gray thing out there and it's like oh it's gervais uh-huh. beaked whale uh but there was one time we went out it was in june and my dad was actually on the boat uh with me which was a, which made it even cooler um and we had this incredible experience with Gervais Beakwell. Like we could have been, I, there's only like a handful of people in, in the world who've seen it this close, but it was a small pod, you know, six or seven of them came and they were like maybe not 20 feet off the boat. And when you get like close wow. to these wow. things, they're not that big, they're, you know, maybe at 50% again, bigger than a, than a bottlenose dolphin. But they have these cool stripes, like these tiger stripes on their back uh-huh. um, that you don't see at a distance, but you can see when they're close up. Uh, and it was just super cool to see that to see that thing, um, and to know that you know not very many people in the world have have had that sort of experience with that with that whale. Uh, that was that was super that was super I, awesome. <laughs> I'm looking at some photos online of it right now, and it um, I can see those tiger stripes there. It's yeah. funny; it's got sort of the face of a dolphin, but like the sort of big big kind of fat body. It's like a sort of co- combination of a whale and a dolphin. It's like something in between. Yeah, totally. And and yeah. usually there's a couple species of beaked whale that you can see off North Carolina uh with I wouldn't I can almost yeah. see with some regularity, but I mean you're likely to see them there. So you see Gervais and Cuvier's which is much bigger and I mean, I've never seen that one close, but they do kind of do that spy hopping thing sometimes. You can see like their teeth. They have these weird the males have these teeth that stick out from their lower jaw. It's pretty wild. Right. Um but uh, yeah, so Gervais was super neat. But uh, one thing I love about pelagic birding is that like you never know what you're going to see. Like the options are almost yeah. completely open, and um, that's what what keeps you going, getting out there, even when you're seasick and sunburnt and <laughs> covered in salt. <laughs> well, uh, beaked whales as a group are a nemesis of mine. I've never seen any oh, yeah. any kind of beaked whale, so oh, yeah. uh, I'm definitely I don't jealous. Think I have either. All right, yeah, cool. Looked, I, I was afraid cool. that I wasn't going to I wasn't going to impress you all. So I'm, I'm still no, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm well gripped. I'm. Uh, I know you guys have seen so much. I'm gripped by all three so far. So oh, right on, cool. <laughs> I don't tend to get very jealous of uh, anything that anybody sees at sea because I, I just get so I get so seasick. Yeah, that it's like I'm quite happy just to sort of <laughs> you know I, I accept that I'm not going to see these things unless yeah. I can see them from the coast. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange too because the experiences you have with those with especially with cetaceans offshore like they they're not always like super great. Like a lot of times it's a distant animal on the horizon, it's just blowing, a big glossy yeah. black thing. <laughs> yeah. And right. and that's how we've seen like sperm whale for the most part. They they look like a big right. black log just kind of floating on the water. Yeah. Like they don't really do a lot. Um yep. but every, uh-huh. when you get those opportunities when they when they come close and you get to see them well like you can see under the water because the water is really clear and blue out there and you can see pretty deep oh cool and you can see like their face and and the whole form and stuff it's it's it makes those experiences all, all the better 
yeah. that uh, that Gulf Stream okay. is like another world. Um, I've done a few of those trips with Brian Pattison as it's well, really both cool. winter yeah. and summer. And man, you just you, you hit the and you can see the line sometimes, right? When you oh, hit the Gulf yeah, Stream, oh yeah, totally, yeah. And and, and it's yeah. just like suddenly you're in this like profoundly pelagic place, and well, it's just yeah, really, it's, it's alien, remarkable. It feels alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, yeah, and I know, it, yeah, that the the break. Um, what Brian calls it, you know, the, from the kind of colder gray inshore water and the, that blue kind of sapphire blue, warm Gulf Stream water. It's like sometimes it's like super dramatic. Like there's a line yep. there that goes from gray to blue. And it's 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 pretty cool. Uh, you're making me want to want to do a pelagic. Yeah. Last two. <laughs> so my last two are um, kind of together and they're probably ones that you've seen since Ken, you're in Africa. So I got to go to Uganda a couple of years, a few years ago, uh-huh. four years ago uh, as part of a familiarity trip with uh, BirdLife Africa. And they, they did, they, they treated us right. It was super. We got to go to a lot of the kind of classic places and it was, it was kind of a quick trip. You know, a lot of times people want to spend a little more time, spend a couple of weeks uh, in the country, yeah. moving around, uh, we it, it was, we were kind of abbreviated it to ten days, but we still had a great group of people in in my car, and we saw a ton of birds. Like that that safari vehicle birding in Africa, that that is how that is where it's at. Like standing up in the safari vehicle, <laughs> looking out over the veld, that it's that is fun birding. It's yep. something, eh? Just like I agree. Three sixty view all around, and it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's really cool. Yeah, and so. Um, yeah, you know, when you're in Uganda, there's a couple species that kind of stand out, and those two are probably my top wildlife experiences. Uh, the first one wow. being shoebill. You know, we're talking uh, about animals that look like yes. muppets. Uh, I've se- <laughs> I'd seen them in zoo. I think Washington Zoo has a has a shoebill, but it's it's different. You're out on the Bamba Swamp. You're riding in the little boat. Uh, you come across those reeds, and there's like this weird prehistoric looking bird standing in the middle of them, and uh, it's such a superlative bird and such a superlative experience. And you're, you're out in the swamp and you come across this weird looking thing. Uh, it's just really cool to see it. And, um, the, the last one, obviously, as I said, it, like it, maybe it's a little basic, but, uh, the mountain gorilla experience at Bawindi is, yeah. uh, un- <laughs> unreal, unreal. The fact that you're like within these groups and they're kind of doing their thing and you're like, there, just kind of in witnessing it uh is i don't there's no i don't i don't know that there's, i've never had an experience like it and uh it is it is yeah i mean people talk about it as a you know one of the greatest one of the greatest wildlife experiences you can have i i would i would i would agree with that it was it was pretty crazy and pretty amazing so ken chatted about this what a couple of weeks ago two three weeks ago and uh and and that hurt, and I I feel like it's sort of uh, adding insult to injury now. You're sort of oh, rubbing, no. rubbing salt in my <laughs> rubbing yeah, well. salt in my wounds. So yeah, I've, I've I've traveled a lot in Africa, done a lot of birding, but I haven't I haven't done that yet. So yeah, anyway, it's fine. I I, I feel resolved to that. Gotta get there. It's all right, Charlie. Nate Nate and I can chat about the awesomeness of uh, mountain gorillas. You can just uh, <laughs> just stay on the sidelines. It's okay. They tell you to like just like not do anything and just let them do right. the thing. And so I was like sitting on the ground and these, they were like passing, they were like passing you like, like within a foot. And the silverback like really? comes up to me and like, he, he looks at me and he like does this faint, like, Ooh. and oh, I, like really? I got it on video what? and I like, I know it, it like, it's legitimately like kind of frightening. And, uh, then oh, he man. stopped and like turned around and just did his own thing. And I, like I didn't do anything. I'm just sitting there. Like I'm trying to be as <laughs> conspicuous as possible. Um, 
And that, yeah. I guess you're allowed to look them in the eyes. And I know some animals, when you sort of look them in the eyes, it's considered like a a threat. But I think with gorillas, they they, they sort of... They say not. they say not to if they, there's not to look in the eyes if they seem to be threatened or if they're yeah okay it's, yeah, it yeah, can yeah. be taken as a challenge yeah you, you don't want to challenge it it's a big animal read their body language yeah. Yeah. It, it can bench press about two thousand pounds so um, yeah. it can definitely take you it doesn't matter who you are I was gonna say if I if I did have to choose a way to to die, I think getting ripped limb by limb from by a by a gorilla would be a pretty uh, pretty awesome way to go. Yeah, like you're, this is not part go out, of the, go out with a bang. I don't want to contribute to the unfair representation of this animal, but ah, they're so gentle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, seriously, I mean it. Yeah, um, it was my fault. I found it, <laughs> it to be like a completely. I found it to be like a completely different experience than the chimpanzees, which we did, you know, a few days later. You did as um, well, yeah? yeah? Yeah, you know, the gorillas don't care. The chimpanzees seem to be sort of aware that you're following them and, like, really want to put right. you through your paces. Like, we followed this one, and he seemed to, like, enjoy going through the most difficult, like, cutting the most difficult possible trail through the woods. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, and making us follow him through the through the brambles and the thorns and, and all off the path and all that stuff, and... The gorillas didn't care, but the chimpanzees seemed to like. Yeah, I know you're here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna mess with you. So, well, that's uh, that's impressive. That two of your lifetime top five were in Uganda on the same trip. That's you know, a yeah. pretty pretty amazing trip. Pretty amazing place. It was a great trip. Yeah, and a and a really cool place. Does it make you want to go back to Africa? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. A different part of Africa. I mean, I go back to Uganda. There's stuff I left there. Like I missed the, uh, I missed yeah. the green-breasted pitta. Uh, I was kind of frustrating, okay. but you you got to leave some stuff yeah. there. <laughs> oh yeah, give you an excuse to come. Oh, out. there's there's a thousand birds, so yep. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed that when we're traveling again and uh, the ABA is going places, maybe <sighs> I can maybe I can hook up with that. Yeah, I'm curious whether you have like honorable mentions or things that m- almost make the list. What are you leaving off your top five? Oh, yeah, I did. I was thinking of, I was trying to think of some different taxa so I could get some diversity in there. Let's see. I, it's the Galapagos tortoise. Good one. Ooh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. That was, uh, uh, I, I was on a, a trip that wasn't necessarily like a birding trip. It was actually a, a gift from my in-laws to my wife and I when we oh. got married. So um, oh, really? we went with them. And uh, it was cool. Like I, 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 wasn't as good a birder then as I, as I, or a serious birder then as I was now. So I left a lot of stuff on the table. But you know, it is. It's so. It's, this was uh, your honeymoon. It's sort of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. And um, you, you got to do some birding on your honeymoon. That's uh, that's pretty cool. It's best to, you know, it's hard not to do birding in the Galapagos because the birds kind of make it. I mean, they're <laughs> yeah. like right in your face. They don't. They don't care. It's, yeah, they're and, right uh, there. And. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the, I mean, the, I, I I remember the tortoise was cool, but like swallowtail gull is such a neat animal. Ooh, and, uh, all the tropic that's birds. That's what I want to see. I uh-huh. and I have really good memories of uh, of uh, you know we were on the boat and like everyone kind of goes down below deck in the middle of the day, and I would like go to the top deck and just sea watch and and see things like uh, right. Galapagos petrel and and the shearwaters kind of just cruising yeah. between the islands and stuff. We were a little too early for the albatross, which uh, I was a little disappointed by, but um, oh shame, you know. Yeah, still, still no albatrosses I've seen, but, and um, let's see, grizzly bear always sort of flashy. Ooh, yep. 
Um, yeah. I love our black bears in North Carolina because they're the fattest black bears in the in the in the world. Um, <laughs> really? Because they, yeah, they what don't do they eat everything. Um, they don't they don't hibernate. <laughs> is the thing because it's it's okay, mild enough here in north carolina time. they just eat the yeah. whole time and so by the end of the winter yeah. they look like they look like a volkswagen bug in a bear suit like they're just <laughs> massive round things that look like they can barely move so that that was definitely a, a an honorable mention one Jeez, yeah had a cool experience with long-eared owl a few years ago that's definitely shorted owl every time i see one of those i always mm, think of yeah. that as like one of the great birding experiences um, oh, I agree. Like, animal. like winter sunset, like hawking yes. over a field or a marsh. Yeah, that's exactly. it's just magical. That's exactly yep. it. Yeah, and, and that was at Alligator River. Actually, was my best shorted owl experience. Um, you know, it's these big fields, and the harriers are out there, and then like the harriers start disappearing and getting replaced by shorted <laughs> owls, <laughs> like little by little. Um, Did you only see the the red wolf once there? Only once. Yeah. So really, you know, and how many times have you been there? Dozens, dozens. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, dozens like sort of thirty. Yeah, like I, I'm like, trying to, um, every, I'm trying to gauge my to chances the... of seeing them if I went there. <laughs> it's not good. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> not good. Really. Doesn't yeah, sound promising. They, um, yeah, no. they, they. I, every time I go to the Outer Banks, I, I love going to the Outer Banks, both as a birding and both with family, just because the beach and, um, you know, I stop at Alligator River and, and just kind of, you know tool around it's on the way out there and you can just you know spend 45 minutes an hour just kind of driving some of the main roads just to see what you see and um right yeah if sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you're not you, you know how it is <laughs> it's a it's a yeah. not a very high population not a high density in a really big area and sometimes you come right. across them yeah sometimes you just intersect what's the population of those red wolves oh boy i i, I don't think it's more than 200 wow now, at some point, those so, populations, red wolf, would have been connected with gray wolf populations, right? So it's weird that they're yeah, Pleistocene, so I think. Okay, yeah, so a long time ago, like 40, 45,000, 50,000 years ago. Yeah, it's it's been a while, and of course, you know, red wolf used to range all across the southeast, all the way down to uh, you know, all across the coastal plain uh, into East Texas. Now they disappeared pretty early because that's where all the people were people were living. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, gray wolf kind of hung on, just because people took longer to get out to that part, or you know, settlers took right, longer yeah. to get there. Obviously, lots of other people out there, but um, yeah. So red wolf had a bad go of it from the start. I've seen some really big and really reddish coyotes in, in mm-hmm. East Texas, and I've thought, man, they must have some some uh, genes of red <laughs> somewhere wolf. back in yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I guess that they, but they were not in contact, gray wolf and red wolf for the past, whatever you said, 40,000 years. They were, they had discrete. I'd have to check that out. That's my sense. They're pretty different. I mean, I've seen gray wolf too in the West and, um, you know, they're, they're kind of longer legged. They're a little more slender. You know, some people think of them as subspecies of gray wolf. The whole canid, you know, genetics is, is kind of a mess anyway, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess they've got some in captivity as well, eh? Yeah, they're pretty common in t- captivity here. Uh, the North Carolina really? Zoo okay. has a couple, and um, the right. Museum of Life and Science in Durham has a few that have had some success, have some breeding success. And I think the idea right. is that they release them every once in a while. But you know, because of the right. federal protection of them has been so mixed, reintroduction stuff has been really messy politically because of all the people out there right. are scared of wolves. And, um, 
you know, they they fight. You were every saying time something like um, people the, people were worried about them killing deer or something, or what? what yeah, what do they normally so, eat. Um, they'll they'll eat deer, but not like usually not the kind that people want to hunt, right? So they're looking for those trophy right. stags, and you know that's right. So big. the smaller ones, yeah, yeah. So they'll eat yeah. you know fawns, they'll eat small mammals, they'll eat you know birds if they can catch them because there's a ton of you know wintering tundra swans in that part of the state as well. Oh, and really? Wow. They yeah. yeah, they'll eat those. And yeah, they, they, I mean, there's not a lot of large herbivores out there anyway. Deer, white-tailed deer is really the only one. And um, uh-huh. I, people, yeah. people, you know, that, that fear of wolves runs deep and it's hard to beat. It's like the same story everywhere that wolves live. The conflict between humans and wolves is a, is a, is a yeah. hard one to overcome. Yep. We, we were talking about how um, coyotes, though, seem to be evolving into a wolf in some in places where there are no wolves so yeah <laughs> we may... yeah in the east yeah and, and, and coyotes are coyotes are cool i mean i love coyotes and people are always surprised yeah, to know that they're super common <laughs> they're just like really good at not being seen and i've, I've, I've yeah. seen urban coyotes every once in a while when i've been out birding in in kind of urban areas and they always look very surprised and and like i yeah most of them are nocturnal now, which apparently is not historically the case. In places where they, really? places where oh, they really? don't have a lot of interactions with humans, they they they're diurnal. Yeah. They're just able to kind of switch their behavior based on, based on you know interactions with people, like just avoiding that, which is kind of which is really cool. <laughs> that such Pretty a cool, kind of yeah. large predator can can make it. Yeah, and, amazing. And everything yeah. so be so adaptable. So adaptable. Yeah. 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 I remember hearing, you know, um, in Lake Michigan off of Chicago, there are these like weird, like artificial islands that are that are like more than a mile offshore, and and apparently oh, yeah. coyotes have like colonized those islands. So it's like a huge city and like little artificial oh, yeah. islands in a big lake, and then they, they swam out and colonized those islands. And I guess there's enough rats or something. <laughs> it's just wow, what an adaptable you gotta animal. Re- you got to respect that. You got to respect. Yeah, no like kidding. That. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it can survive anywhere. Yeah, eat anything. Uh, I love canids. That was really my my second natural history love after snakes. So birds, birds was yeah. like a distant third or fourth or something. Yeah, it's. I was sort of the same way too. Like when I when I when I was young, like I was, it was snakes and bugs for me, and and still, you know, those things uh, hold a real close place in my heart. Like I, I would call myself a birder, but as you can see with my top five, like I would get excited about I get excited about mammals as much you just don't see him as often so he it's like it's hard to be a yeah, mammaler because you have to it's too uh, hard there's t- too many bats and rodents to like really be a mammal <laughs> <laughs> too hard to identify those things and uh but you know the charismatic stuff oof, yeah i'm here for that <laughs> there's very few birds that would compete with a with a top mammal sighting you know like oh, for a, real like yeah. a wolf or a gorilla or something like that there's not m- many birds that could sort of compete with that level of awesomeness yeah, I agree. I, I would actually agree with you. They'll take yeah. away my birding card for that, but I would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but we love we love birds as well. Well, I hear American Mammaling Association is looking for a podcaster, so you know. Just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll be monthly. It's harder to harder to put. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we should uh, we should let you go before the uh, yep. ice storm hits. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Thank, thanks thanks so much for coming on the naturally adventurous nate yeah. it's been a we could chat yeah, all man. day but it's, it's been, been great a, chatting yeah, absolutely uh thanks for sharing yeah, your top hopefully. five. Oh, cool yeah thanks hopefully we'll run into each other down the road 
Yep, when we can all kind of, uh, One of these move days. around. <laughs> You'll be expecting a visit from me in uh, in North Carolina. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to come for that ring. wolf for sure. Yeah, give me a <laughs> ring. I'll go out there and look for it. <laughs> you will. Awesome. Yeah. I'm there. If you make it to Thailand, give me a call. <laughs> will do. Um, folks, definitely check out the American Birding Association podcast. Uh, an uh, excellent podcast, all kinds of great topics. And we'll catch you here on Naturally Adventurous uh, about a week from now. And thanks again, Nate. Yeah, thanks. Our natural sound this week is going to be the amazing Red Wolf. This recording is courtesy of the Wolf Conservation Center in South Salem, New York. And we'll put their link in the description below. Okay, see you next week.